We've been um, going through this book chapter by chapter. Next week, we're going to finish it out, five and six together. Six is a shorter chapter. We're going to combine them into one message uh, next week. And uh, Paul spent the first half of this letter to the Galatian churches kind of hammering this truth over and over, and he kind of continues the theme on this week, that there's nothing we can do to add to our righteousness. All right, so at the time at the time he was writing this letter, he was talking specifically the issue was circumcision and whether or not these new Christians should be circumcised. Um, that's not really something that we talk about today, but the, the principle still applies. We still have people in the church today trying to add to their faith, trying to add to the gospel message, trying to add to the goodness of what Christ did on the cross for us. And we add to it our own works. We put our own things on top of it, trying, thinking that somehow that we can make what God offered to us better. And, and that's such a foolish idea. And even as, as I say it, it does, that sounds dumb, right? Like, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But yet in our mind, we tend to rationalize this idea. And uh, what the Judaizers, who were the people that were pushing for circumcision, what they wanted was a hybrid between the old covenant and the new covenant. But Paul says the work of Christ on the cross redeems us from the curse of the law. He's saying the law never saved anyone. The, the law was impossible to follow. It was impossible to fulfill. It was showing us God's standard and what he had, um, what would make somebody righteous before him. But it was, it was not fulfillable by a human being. And it wasn't that the law was bad. It was our problem, our sinfulness, our inability to follow it. And so the beginning of chapter 4 kind of shifts the metaphor a little bit. Uh, it uses a new metaphor to talk to us about what our faith in Jesus does. And Paul shifts his focus really for the second half of this chapter onto the believer and, and what it looks like to follow Christ. And now not so much addressing the Judaizers, but, but those who are in Christ and have received his grace. And maybe that's a little bit simplistic, but he just spent three chapters saying that if you make the gospel about you or about your work or about any ritual or anything that you do, it's not the gospel and you're wasting your time anymore. The second half of the book, and again, this is a very simple, simplistic way of looking at it, but basically he's saying just because you've been saved by grace doesn't mean you should stay where God found you. And what you're going to discover is that Paul is taking this approach that it's not that I have to do this in order to be saved, but this following God's plan is what's best for your life. And so it doesn't mean that we live the way that we want to and we do whatever we want to in our flesh anymore. It means that we're doing, uh, we're serving and following Christ, not because it makes us righteous before him, not because it does anything to make us holy before him. It's because it's what's best for us. And he uses this picture of a son and a slave to paint the picture of what our reality in Christ should look like. And it's a really powerful image, and uh, we're going to read it together. But this is from last week. We read this at the end. And, and I want you to hear this because um, you're going to hear the term son a lot. And, and I want you to understand that this is not for the men only in here, okay? This is, when, when you read son in this passage, you can think of it as son or daughter, Right? Verse 28, we just read this. This is the verse before the chapter that we're going to read now. It says, there's no Jew, Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male 
and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is the intent of Paul here. This applies to everyone. Let's pick it up in Galatians 4, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, that's great. We'll put it on the screen as well. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right, here's the first thing I want us to get. Maturity is the key that unlocks the privileges of sonship. Okay, I'm going to say that again because this is a, listen, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. This is a good point, okay? All right, I, I like this one. This, when, when I was reading through this, I'm like, yes, this is, this is what it's trying to communicate. Maturity is the key that unlocks the privileges of sonship. Did you read that first verse with me? It says, an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. So, so in other words, it's saying, if you're in the family, but you're still acting like a baby, you might as well not be a son. It's only through the process of maturity that when the father unlocks that for you, that you experience what it means to truly uh, live in the privileges of sonship. Um, when you have a baby, you can do whatever you want to them. Now, I don't mean that in an abusive way. I, I'm saying... You can dress them in the stupidest little outfits, right? It's, some parents just take so much joy in dressing their kids up in clothes that nobody else would wear. But it's like, you can do whatever you want. They're a baby. They're not going to fight you on what they have to wear. And you know what? You can say, oh, my baby only eats the healthiest foods, only, only the organic pureed vegetables from the gardens of Eden. I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, you know what? You shove the food down their face. They don't have a choice, okay? So don't brag about that, right? And you can bring them pretty much anywhere. In fact, when we had Kayla, um, Kayla's our, our firstborn. When she was a baby, we used to bring her to youth group with us. And the music at our youth service was ear-splittingly loud, okay? Uh, it was so loud in there, she would sleep right through the whole service. It was amazing, right? We'd take her to the restaurant. Afterwards, we'd haul her around everywhere in that stupid little baby carrier. As an infant, she made almost no choices, right? Now contrast that with our children as they grow older. I have a five-year-old now. My youngest is five. She has some extremely strong opinions about stuff. Um, if you've ever met Ella, you would know that about her after about five seconds. Uh, and one of the things that she cares a lot about is the clothes that she wears. Now, most of the time, we let her choose her clothes because um, if we try to choose for her, she will make everyone around her miserable for the entire day. <laughs> and she picks the most ridiculous outfits, you know, but when we tell her what to wear, when we decide to fight that battle, she's moody about it for hours, right? She's feeling stunted in her ability to choose. 
Now, as parents, uh, we know that if she wears a summer dress when it's minus 11 degrees outside, right, she's going to be miserable. So we make a good choice for her. But as she learns to demonstrate good judgment, we allow her to make that decision on her own. And that's what good parenting is, right? We protect our children, but we prepare them for independence. If you don't prepare them for independence, um, you're, you're emotionally and mentally stunting your children's growth. And as our kids get older, they have more freedom. They can make their own choices. You know, we have a limited time with them to impart wisdom and maturity to our kids before they demonstrate that they're ready to handle real responsibilities. We don't hand them the keys to the car until we trust that they can drive it safely and return back home in a safe way. Now, let's bring this back to our spiritual discussion here. I want to give you three scenarios of Christians that come to faith in Christ. The first person comes to faith in Christ. They think they know everything, but they lack mentorship or spiritual guidance. Anybody know anyone like that? Don't point at them or elbow them or anything. Just, just acknowledge that you do. Right? As a result, they don't know what it means to submit to authority or to have accountability in their life. And when somebody calls them on something or challenges them on something, they just leave. Right? They're just like, okay, no, I'm done. I already know what it means to follow Christ. I don't need your advice. I don't need your wisdom. I can do this on my own. And they back out. I can think of a lot of people in this boat. In fact, many have come through the doors of this church and were all in for a couple of weeks or a couple of months until it got hard, until somebody challenged something in their life that needed to change. Somebody pointed to something that wasn't right. And they're like, nope. Okay, that's enough for me. They were unwilling to fully surrender. Second person is the one who stays a child. Let me explain what I mean. They never exercise their spiritual muscles. They're content with mom and dad picking out their outfit for their entire life, right? They're 25 years old, and they're like, Mom, can you pick up my clothes this morning? Right? That's not good parenting, right? And in the same way, your spiritual development should happen so that you you uh, grow as well and you learn that independence. Let me give you some examples of what that might look like. Maybe you come and listen to the pastor preach a message, but you never open the Bible for yourself. And you never study it for yourself. Right? Or maybe you sing the songs about God that we sing on Sunday, but you're unable to praise him in your own words. Or maybe um, you don't even spend time in worship by yourself at all. Those aren't bad things. It's just that that's a spiritual growth process that happens. And if you don't get to the next step, if you don't grow in, in your relationship with the Lord and you don't develop in, in your maturity, then you're not growing strong roots. You're not be able to be an independent follower of Christ. You're not able to reach maturity and experience the benefits of sonship like Paul was talking about here. Maybe you don't spend time on your own praying and trying to hear God's voice for anything in your life. In fact, when you're at small group and somebody's like, who wants to pray tonight? You're like, not me, please, no. Like you disappear, you melt into the couch because you're like, please don't call my name. That, I can't think of anything that would be more humiliating or more embarrassing. Uh, and, and here's the reality. If you're not willing to take those steps of faith and put yourself out there and, and 
let yourself um, take some risks in that area, you'll never grow spiritually. Now, if this is you, you're spiritually weak and you're vulnerable. And it's great that you have people alongside you that are strong and encourage you, but you need to learn to grow your own faith. You need to learn how to feed yourself spiritually as well. Right? If you have a 17-year-old and you're still feeding them mashed up peas, right? that's not a good place to be. Okay. <laughs> so this is what, what Paul is saying, and, and I'm not making this up. He says, you're a son and you own it. Right? It's your house. It's your privilege. Everything that the Father has is yours. You're the owner of his inheritance. It's in your lineage. It's already yours. But until you're old enough to use it, until he says, okay, here you go. You've proven that you're trustworthy. Then it doesn't do you any good. You might as well be a slave. Now that's pretty harsh. Here's the third scenario, and this is the good one. Somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They come under godly counsel. They grow in their faith. They learn to feed themselves spiritually, but they still allow mature believers to teach them when they're wrong. Then, when they face a tragedy, or when God calls them to do something big, or they need to step out in a leadership role at work, or in their family, or in their church, they're prepared, and they're mature, and they're empowered to do what God has called them to do. They have confidence because they recognize their position as sons, not slaves. And they convey the authority of their father. All right, let's keep reading. In verse 8, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to that, those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have time to come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Ouch, right? Those are harsh words. Here's the second thing I want us to get. Failing to grow spiritually is a rejection of God's invitation. Okay, so listen, here's the deal. When, when God gives everything to you, when he gives his son to you, his death on the cross, his offer of grace to you, you receive that, but then you stay where you are. Are you really receiving what he's giving you? Like, let me, let me put it to, to you in these terms. If somebody gives you an incredible gift, let's say they give you, you're, you're into skiing. Anybody in here into skiing? Like maybe cross-country ski or downhill ski, and Christmas morning comes, and you get this package, and it's this brand new pair of skis. You're like, wow, thank you so much. And you take those skis and you put them in your bedroom. And you maybe even mount them on the wall because they're so cool. And then the winter goes by and your friend who gave you that present is like, oh, have, you, have you tried out the skis yet? Oh, no, have, haven't done that yet. I haven't used them yet. But they, are, they look great on the wall. Right? I, who's going to feel good about giving that present? You're like, oh man, I just wasted hundreds of dollars 
buying this thing that they have not even taken out one time. Well, how do you think God feels when he gives you this incredible gift of salvation, when he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and you've got it mounted on your wall, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It says so on my Facebook profile. Well, what do you do about that faith? I don't know, not, not much. I mean, maybe go to church once in a while. <laughs> Show up, you know, sing some songs. What are you doing with your faith? Like, if you aren't growing in your faith, if you aren't exercising what God has given you, then it's, it's more or less a rejection of God's invitation. Now, Paul is almost certainly addressing some specific issue here that we don't know about because he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. Um, a lot, there's a lot of speculation. In fact, I was reading some commentaries on this, and because of what was going on in the Galatian province at this time, you're thinking there's probably some idol worship that has kind of crept back into the church. And so these believers had been saved, they'd come to Christ, but then now they're kind of mixing in that old lifestyle back into their faith. And, and we don't know exactly what it is, but Paul is confronting that issue. He's saying, listen, if you're going to stay where you are and you're going to allow these things that used to be a part of your life back into your life, you're volunteering yourself back into slavery again. Paul is not messing around. In fact, um, he goes on in verses 12 to 20 to talk about how disappointed he is in them. <laughs> Last week, I talked about how Paul was kind of yelling in chapter 3. Like, you can kind of hear his tone uh, as we read it. But check this out in verse 19. Here's what it says. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In other words, grow up spiritually. It's like, it's like I'm having a baby here, right? That's how much pain you're causing me. Now, I don't know, Paul didn't have any experience with this, but I'm sure he's using his imagination, right? Women are like, Paul, you don't know anything. No. Uh, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Can you imagine the church reading this? Paul is basically saying, don't make me change my tone, <laughs> right? <laughs> don't make me get out my, my angry voice, okay? Now, can I share my personal opinion here? All right. These are the two biggest issues in the American church, too. Self-righteous Christians, which Paul shouted about for the first three chapters, right? And uh, people who are trying to live with one foot in faith and one foot in the world. Okay? I mean, pretty much everybody in here can say, yeah, at least at one point in my life, I fit in one of those camps. Okay? Like I, I came to faith and I'm still wrestling with this idea of serving Christ. And so now I'm like, okay, you know, I want to be a Christian, but I'm still, I still have this old part of my life that's still important to me and I still value that. And it's that tension between the two. And then maybe we get freedom from that and then that's where that danger of self-righteousness creeps in. So if you don't have one problem, you probably have the other, right? You're probably struggling with one of those two issues. And it's, it's a constant battle of of submitting ourselves to Christ and trusting in him. Okay, I, I better stop or I'm going to have to get my soapbox out if I, if I keep preaching like this. Um, Paul goes back to what it means to be free. He uses the example of 
Hagar and Sarah. And if you were to keep reading, we won't read it all this morning, but if you were to read through this whole thing, he gives this picture of Hagar and Sarah to represent the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, if you know what that is, Hagar um, was the um, handmaiden of Abraham and Sarah. And when Sarah couldn't have a baby, um, she jumped the gun and said, hey, why don't you have a baby with Hagar instead? And so Hagar's son Ishmael was born. And then later on, Sarah becomes pregnant with, with Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac, who was the son of the promise. And then he says, um, Paul says this, he actually says this in scripture. He says, this may be interpreted allegorically. So if you're ever wondering, like, when can I interpret Scripture allegorically? When it says directly in there, this may be interpreted allegorically, okay? <laughs> if you want to be safe, like, stick to those passages. But here's what he says in verse 28. He says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Last thing I want to to get as, as a worship team comes. Uh, this is the third point. Spiritual freedom means total acceptance of the gospel and total rejection of the world. Total acceptance of the gospel and total rejection of the world. Now, that's easy to say. That's another thing to do. That means letting go of any idea of self-righteousness. Like, you don't have anything to offer God. <laughs> you don't have anything at all. It also means living like the world and rejecting your adopted family. You got to let that go too. If you're going to be part of his family, you can't still be part of your old family. Right? You're, you're either with him or you're against him. So here's what I want to encourage us to do as, as we close this morning. This is my challenge to you. Let's, let's take inventory of our life, of our thoughts, of the things that are important to us. A uh, couple summers ago, I built something called a little free library. You know, you know what those are? Those little, little houses that you can put books in. Uh, mine is super bougie, by the way. All right. I have, I have a very extra free little library. Like I custom made siding out of vinyl plank flooring. I know, I'm, I'm out of control. It even has like a little solar panel on top of it with, with twinkle lights inside. <laughs> and so when, we, when I made this thing, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just use this little free library as a, as a ministry tool. I'm going to take all of the books that I've gotten throughout the years, and I have a lot of books that people have given me or that I bought, that I've read, Christian books, right? <laughs> like Christian books. I'm like, I'm going to stuff this thing full of just Christian books. 
and um, and then there were a couple in there that I was like, you know what, this one wasn't that good. We're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna put that one in there. And I filled it up. And um, now over time, the way that little free libraries work is people come and they take a book, and then maybe they have some books at home that they want to get rid of. I'm like, well. I need to keep an eye on this thing. And in fact, I was driving past it this morning and that's what made me think of this. This wasn't in my notes until this morning, but I drove past it. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of books in there. I have no idea what some of those books are. And over the past two years, as we've had this thing up, I, at times I go to this little free library and I pull out all the books and I just look through them real quick. I'm like, hmm, this idea doesn't need to be spread, recycling. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna filter through what's being put out there. Why? Because it's my free little library. I built the thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share the ideas that I want to be spread. And if you're gonna put trash in my free little library, I'm gonna take your romance novel and I'm gonna throw it away. And you know, if, what if we just did that in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Say, God, what ideas, what thoughts, what patterns of behavior have I allowed to creep into my life that are preventing me from maturing spiritually? That are blocking me from experiencing what it means to be the rightful heir, the son of God that I am things that are, are causing me to reject my new adopted family. Maybe it's just a, a pattern of thinking that's not biblical or not godly. Maybe it's behavior or something like that that's, that's not acceptable. Maybe it's an idea of self-righteousness that, that you've somehow allowed yourself to um, think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Whatever it is, I believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. That's not my job. Listen, I, I, I can preach the word, but, but the Holy Spirit has to be the one that convicts your heart. And if you are willing to say, okay, God, show me the areas of my life that aren't right. Take inventory of my heart and of my mind. Show me the way that I've been thinking incorrectly or believing the wrong thing. If we do that, speak to us.